Well, welcome to the Memoirs of Abiding podcast. I'm Chris Bryant. We wanted to start something a little different and counter to what many have been taught or learned through experience. Our topics will be practical and theological, focusing on what the early church thought. What we are going to talk about isn't some new idea, but rather an old idea gaining traction again. Our tell is sharing our experiences and looking at the Bible in this material. Our ask is that you will take it into your own devotion time and ask the Lord how to best apply it. We will talk about this material each week, and we have blogs addressing practical applications at www.memoirsofabiding.com. We hope you experience God through talking about His Word with us. Well, welcome back to Memoirs of Abiding podcast. This month, we are going to talk about overcoming, kind of like that uh, song, Overcomer. But we're going to talk about it instead of overcoming with our own flesh and our own will, our own power. It'll be through the lens of abiding. And I've got Ricky here with me again. Ricky, um, you ready to talk about some overcoming? Especially if you're talking about legalism. Legalism was one ugly monster. So, yes, let's get it. Yes. Well, today we are focusing on legalism. And for the rest of the month, we're going to do legalism, perfectionism, control and hopelessness but we want to start off with legalism because legalism like you said is a is a beast that uh that somehow permeated our our church and uh yeah so let's start off with the big question where does it come from and why is this so common within church where does it come from well it comes from the same place that all those other things we've been talking about come from it fills a hole uh, it fills the emptiness inside of us. But then we have to define, you know, what is legalism? It's this overriding need or desire that everybody do does things the way I want it done. It's my way or the highway. It It's reflected both in the church and out of the church. My standards have to apply. Now, some standards are beyond all of this. You shouldn't murder somebody. That's not contested unless there's somebody mentally ill or exceptionally evil. But that's just a natural law of humanity. You shouldn't go around murdering people. So you can't be legalistic about thou shalt not murder. You should do no harm to somebody. Becomes a little bit different if we say you can never harm someone. That's legalism. And somebody would say, why is that the case? Well, there are times when doing harm to another person actually is a good thing. And somebody might at first blush go, well, what do you mean? Well, self-defense or defending somebody else. Uh, You might have to actually hurt somebody in order to defend other people. But there would be a legalist somewhere who would say, no, absolute pacifism is the only thing that we can be involved in. No matter what kind of harm somebody is causing us or others, we cannot retaliate. So complete 100% unadulterated pacifism would be a legalistic 
point of view. And we find legalistic points of view in all realms of life. And it comes from the, the tenacity of the human soul to find meaning in aberrant ideas. I was reading and just Ricky, you and I had done some work with just learning a little bit more about systematic theology, but getting the understanding of it through the lens of abiding. And one of the authors, Wayne Grudem, he writes a book called yes. An Introduction to Biblical Doctrine, Systematic Theology. And he talked about people bringing up laws that are outside of what God put and placing an undue burden. And it's yeah. true because we see that in the Bible, that the Pharisees were accused of doing this. They would make all of these additional laws and they would place the people under them that they could never possibly fulfill. And we see that with legalism. And I see that with legalism. We see no dancing, no singing, no music. These are just a few of the examples. But we add all of these additional rules onto the boundaries that God gave us and claim that they are God-breathed because they meet the intent of what God is trying to do through Scripture. And then when a believer is unable to walk through those or desires to do one of those that God never said was wrong, they feel this shame that is now forced upon them. And so then they have to all of a sudden live through the shame and try to come to re repentance on something that wasn't necessarily sin in the first place. I've seen that in different aspects of legalism as well. Yeah, I, I totally agree with you. It's a huge problem in the body of Christ. But it's not only a, a problem for Christians. It's a, it's a human problem. And you see it in all walks of life. We see it in the right and left battle of politics taking place. The tolerance and intolerance debate. We see legalism rear its ugly head. For those who are versed in Bible language and church language, in the past, legalistic tendencies camped in, you know, our dress code, um, which English version of the Bible does the English-speaking world use? What style of music can a church use? <laughs> and sometimes it just becomes absolutely pathetically humorous. Well, you, you can't have chairs in a church building. You have to have pews. And, it, and it's, it's got deep historical roots, as you were referring to, even before the Lord Jesus was born. The Jewish community had taken the Old Testament and added to it hundreds upon hundreds of additional laws. Yeah. You know, like, you know, like you have, if you just take the basic idea of the Ten Commandments, on the Sabbath day, you should rest. Well, the Israeli leaders are going to make sure you rested. <laughs> so it wasn't enough to say on the Sabbath, you'll rest. 
You know, you can only walk this far from your house. You can only carry these objects when you walk. If you drop this object, you can't pick it up. If you, you know, silly things like that, just a list of things. And if you violated those, you came under the wrath of those church leaders. Yeah. And, and, it's, and, it's, and it continues all the way through the New Testament, past the New Testament era into the, the times of the Eastern Orthodox Church and the Catholic Church. And some of them were just silly as all get out. You know, Chris, the whole thing with churches that wear robes, you know, like sometimes you go to church and the choir still wears a robe or the pastor wears a robe. Or sure. In Catholicism, the, the priests wear robes. You know where robes first came from is everybody wore, wore white robes. Everybody, rich and poor, would wear white robes so that nobody could tell who was rich and who was poor. It was a it was a Christ-like gesture to live out the life of the cross. All are equal at the foot of the cross. There's uh -huh. not rich. There's not poor. There's not Jewish. There's not Gentile. Right. It's not man nor woman. We're all together in this and we're co-equal as children of God. But what happened? Then some people started to decorate their robes. Of course. <laughs> and, as the, and as the decades went by and, and the years went by, pretty soon the, the folks are no longer wearing the robes because they're not, they don't have the money to put, you know, whatever they put on robes to make them look good. And then, you know, then we have... The priesthood wearing beautiful, well, they thought beautiful. I'd call them gaudy and audacious and pretty ugly. They're all decorated and they got frills and frays and stones on them. And so now the priests are wearing robes again. And they're even in pulpits way high above the, the folks. The very original idea of the robe becomes in legalism, an offense to God and sure. the body of Christ. It's so, you know, where does it come from and why is it so common within churches? Because we're not abiding in Jesus. We do not run these ideas through the filter of our walk with God. And when we talk about abiding, remember what Jesus said to his followers. Abide in me. Abide in my love, abide in my word, and abide in my work. As I abide in my Father, and I abide in my Father's love, and I abide in my Father's word, and I abide in my Father's work. And what does it mean to abide? To be in a relationship of agenda harmony, to think the same way, to act the same way, to fulfill the desires the same way. So because we fulfill our desires outside of abiding in God, we get legalism. And it gets pretty ugly. So, yeah, everything from the silliness of pews versus chairs. You know, churches have divided and split because somebody wanted to paint the walls white and somebody else wanted to paint them yellow. Uh, <laughs> there was a time when there were no instruments in the American church. I knew one pastor when he decided to go with contemporary Christian music, he put a set of drums on the, the stage and nobody touched them and nobody played them for like three months, four months. 
And he I, he told me, he said, you know how I got drums in my church? I go, no. He said, well, I put them in there. And I just sat there. Really? And, yeah. I go, what What do you mean? He said, I didn't give the folks time to grow comfortable with them. Because I knew if we just put them up there one Sunday and added drums to the guitar, uh, the legalist would show up and and we'd have a fight. <laughs> yeah. So he literally... He literally used like some kind of conditioning, you know, he put them in there for three or four months and kind of until finally some people said, why are there drums up there? You go, I don't know. They go, oh, maybe there might come a time, might be some song that we might <laughs> choose to use them. More and more people were saying, well, they're there. Why don't we use them? And it caused people in church to start saying there's drums. Why don't, why doesn't the pastor use them? And, by default, he had permission to use the drums because he was fearful of legalism. That's how stupid this is. Oh dear, it's really bad. You know? I think and also we laugh at that we laugh at that, but that wrecks the witness of of, of the Lord in in our lives. And it's interesting because one of the groups I'm walking through are Phase One, and we're walking through Romans. Romans three though hits on this, and we really see the Lord addressing through Paul to Gentiles and Jews alike, this idea of faith through works, like a lot of, and that's, that's basically the, the stem of this legalism. Well, you've got to follow these rules or else you're not being righteous. You're not being holy. You can't even be holy by doing what God says. You have to do what God says. And we're going to now define that with a thousand other little ideas. Yes. You got to do every one of them in a certain format and sequence even. Yeah. Yeah. So he says, verse 21, when I, when I introduced this one, Romans 3, I think 10 and 11 really hit on the whole point, the, the problem, the introduction. You know, when we write an essay, we have an introduction of the problem, and then we have our thesis statement, and then we have a bunch of transitional statements, paragraph to paragraph. Romans 3, 10, and 11 really hit the problem. He says, as the scriptures say, no one is good or no one is righteous, not even one. No one has understanding or knowledge, and no one is seeking after God. All have turned away from God, as, as verse 12 adds to that. So that's the problem, right? So then what do some people say? Well, well I'll show you. I'm going to follow all these rules, and I'm going to one-up God's rules. I'm going to show that I'm holy by uh, doing this, this, and this. So then we come to Paul's thesis, I think, for Romans. This is at least what I've, I've determined based on Romans 3. Verse 21, but now God has shown us a different way of being right in his sight, not by an, a, a, obeying the law, but by the way promised in the scriptures long ago, or by the law and the prophets, as some versions say. We are made right in God's sight when we trust in Jesus Christ to take away our sins, and we all can be saved in the same way, no matter what or who we are or what we've done. So, again, it's not about what we do and what we don't do. We don't lose our salvation because we, we watched a movie that had violence in it or that we played a drum at the church service. It, it has nothing to do with that, nor did that get us our salvation. So the salvation being a gift had nothing to do with anything that we'd done other than stepping into the faith that he talks about in Romans 4 that Abraham had. So legalism attempts to redo the Tower of Babel, but with faith. 
said, oh, we will reach God through our own works. We're going to build a tower that builds to the highest heavens, and we will reach heaven ourselves. And that's that to me is the root of legalism. I will reach heaven through my own works. Frank Sinatra, I did it my way, God. I got into heaven without you. Yeah, and 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 a step further into deviance and weirdness. It's going to be my way, the way I, the way I decide that that works based legalism is going to get me to heaven, is also the way you get to heaven. You don't get to create your own little doohickey. Yeah, you got to do it the way I came up with, or my little group, the way we came up with it. Yeah, so legalism is not just my way or the highway. It is, I mean, not just a means of works and regulation to get there, but it demands that everybody else do it the same way. You know, and you're right about the whole faith issue, verse 22, even the righteousness of God, which is by faith of Jesus Christ unto all and upon all them that believe, for there's no difference. And the, the emphasis there twice using the word faith as a, as a noun, and then the word believe is the same word in the Greek language, in the, in the verb form. To believe in the Savior, to have faith in the Savior, is our means to being right with God, which is, which is another way to translate the word for righteousness. To be right with God, to have an internal and eternal righteousness, it can only come in our dependence upon God. Legalism is a substitute. That substitute lingers even after people have by faith accepted Christ. What needs, and the only way to rid ourselves of it is through abiding. The same faith that saves us is the same faith that transforms us. So going with that, even after they accept Christ, this pervades their life, right? This just infests every aspect yeah. of their life. So then how does it affect us? Because I think people know, but maybe they don't see those bits. So I've kind of talked about four ways, my mindset, how I go about my modest operandi, if you're a, a veteran or, or familiar with that term, or just how I conduct myself, my belief in who I am, my belief and treatment of other people, and finally in my relationship uh, with God himself. And it's this, the mindset from what I've seen is I continue to fail and I always will. I, I can never, can never meet what I'm supposed to do. So therefore I'm, I'm never going to be righteous. Any, any thoughts Why on is that? Yeah. Yeah. That's the big question. Why do, if I choose this group of rules, these regulations, this legalistic mindset, why do I continue to fail? And it's obvious because that's the nature of mankind apart from God. We can only be healthier and healthier and healthier with God being the motivator and the driver. Yeah. We're designed to be in relationship with Almighty God. Well, when we choose legalism, we're choosing a relationship with ourselves and our rules. And so it's like, it's kind of like the, it's really weird. You don't, you'd think people would get it <laughs> because, you know, they go, well, you got to do this. This is the way it's done. You can only use the King James Bible. That's one of the, that's one of them. 
And then all of a sudden they, you know, they, they don't fulfill the mandates of the King James Bible and the other people don't fulfill the King James Bible. So they go, well, we got to do it better. Well, all right. How much better do you have to do it? Well, perfectly. Well, you're never going to. So how in the world does that make any sense to you? You know, if, if you if you in your own experience know it's not going to happen, why are you demanding it of everybody else? It's almost a form of uh, delusion. Like, you know, like a mental illness, which it is because they've not experienced what the Bible talks about. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Right. Yeah. Romans 12, 2. And we can only be transformed by the renewing of our mind if we walk in this abiding relationship with the Lord. Our mindset stuck on legalism is a stumbling block that can never, ever. And Jesus said it, right? He said it. Yeah. He said, and God through the prophet said that. He said, hey, I place this cornerstone, which became a stumbling block to the legalists, to the yeah. those who were all in the jurisprudence of, of life, right? Yeah. What about this? To, to demonstrate to them that they can't do it. And then, and then another place, you know, the Apostle Paul says it's a taskmaster or a teacher. But, you know, yeah. So. What about this belief in self? What do I believe about myself? I've, I asked uh, one or two of our group members who have stated they've been stuck in legalism. And some say that it's it's the most difficult roadblock in their faith to Christ or faith in Christ rather. And it leads to self-deprecation or tearing down oneself, insulting oneself, shame and failure. One even went so far as to say they've the feeling they felt like they had this humility. But what they realized is this feeling of forced humility was actually a feeling of shame brought on by this this rule set. Well, you know, humility in one sense, but is actually shame because they're not fulfilling all of these additional extra biblical mandates. Yeah. So they have missed the, the meaning of what it means to be in a truly loving, dependent, abiding relationship with God. And as a result, they've got it backwards. So that, that kind of I don't want to use the word perverse, but twisted or something like that, that they feel shame or low, lowly, you know, subservient, you know, because they have this idea that they should be humble before God, you know, feel humility before God. Well, if they keep failing through legalism, it reproduces that, that feeling and they have, literally been confused with the idea of false shame versus being humble and that's what legalism does yeah so it's it's akin to we see it in in counseling formats when when people harm themselves and cut themselves they're doing kind of the same thing the feeling of self-loathing in a reproduced fashion over and over again gives them a sense of release because they've come to the end of themselves and then they do it again and again and again. I'm not worth anything. I'm not worth anything. I'm not worth anything. I'm not loved. 
but I'll keep trying, I'll keep trying, I'll keep trying, I'll keep trying. When you read from Romans, you read a perfect passage of scripture that the Holy Spirit gave to you that sums it all up. You know, we've been doing this ever since Adam and Eve sinned. And hey, y'all, <laughs> it's not working. There's a righteousness that can come from faith. And again, I love the translation that you used, to be right with God. I think it was something along those lines, right? Yeah. Yeah, to be right with God, righteousness, yeah. So, yeah, that that the way you the way you worded it, our belief in ourself becomes a self-deprecation belief in ourselves. It's what we believe about ourselves. Yeah. So, I mean, I'm curious. I know it's I know it's a tangent. The folks that you're working with have they in that and and as your groups are growing in their knowledge and ability to abide in the Savior is that issue of feeling the feeling of forced humility actually being a feeling of shame you're saying that they're they're getting it they're finally beginning to see that they don't need to cling to these old habitual legalistic attitudes and behaviors they have in their life that continue to cause them to feel low way down and they're seeing it as what it truly is now they can see it. It's just it, it's the the level of this spiritual disease has affected them so deeply that now comes the phase of allowing scripture to really rewrite their mind and heart so that that belief is not still there. But yeah, I mean, they can definitely see the effect that legalism has had on their lives. That's awesome, because that means that that the word of God is already overriding their old thoughts and their old belief system. That's, that's, <laughs> that's awesome. Praise God. And I'll be praying. I'll be praying with you on their behalf that, that they, they move quickly, you know, to feeling better about themselves in all the right ways. That's awesome. So then the next two, just kind of touching briefly on these, but belief about others or the treatment of others I think we can see this just in the biblical descriptions of how Pharisees treated everyone with contempt, with judgment. They were always better or elitist. Even, even when they knew they failed, they were still better than the others because they upheld the standard. Would you add anything to that one? No, it goes back to that whole issue that it's not just about the rules. It's about my rules. Yeah. They say it's about God's rules, but it's my rules. Yeah. This is what Jesus tried to point out to the Pharisees. You know, you say, well, what they said was not a quote from the Bible. It was a, an addition to what the Bible, the Old Testament said. Yeah. Now, here's the tough one. The relationship with God. And this is the one in our groups that I that I hear the most impact. Never good enough is, is one of the descriptions. Um, Works-based theology continues to plague their life down to the very core of of why they might do something you know would you define would, would you define workspace the uh theology or ideology real quickly or, yeah or, yeah so the works-based theology or the works-based ideology is is i am always having to do stuff to either 
earn my salvation or to make me feel like God didn't give me this wrongly. Like, like, you know, God, you did this on accident, but I, I'm, I need to show you that what you did was the good idea. Kind of like what a, a parent or a, an adult might do for a child that, uh, you know, Hey, here's, here's this candy or here's this ice cream in the middle of the day. And the child says, Oh, I need to show them that they didn't make this wrong choice. So kind of like that. Yep. Very good. Yeah. And so one even said, I'm, they, they felt so unworthy and filled with shame that they said, I, I better earn this goodness. I better earn this grace that has been given to me. So that kind of goes back to that works-based theology or their representation of, of God. But it's a stumbling block. Yeah, it drives deep to the heart of somebody's soul, doesn't it? About how they feel about themselves. I'm, I'm not going to be good enough. Well, on the one side, from an accurate assessment of humanity, I'm not good enough. But I can say that in the spirit when I'm abiding with Christ, and it makes perfect sense. I, I can't earn my place with God, right? But that doesn't mean he doesn't love me. <laughs> uh, and, it's, and, and I'm not who I, I'm... I'm not who I once was, but he loves me eternally and infinitely and he loved me eternally and infinitely back when I was somewhat of a, I don't, I'm not going to use any words about the way I was many years ago, <laughs> but he loved me just as much then as he does now. And I'm not who I will be in the future, especially in heaven. And he won't love me anymore when I get to heaven, when I have no sin. So I can say I'm good because God loves me, right? And the reality of the, of the gospel is there is a, an appropriate way to say I'm not good enough. But that's just the assessment of the fact that I need God in my life. That's all I'm saying. I can't earn my place in heaven. I can't. You know, hey, God, you better save me because I'm so, you know, uh, you know, that old thing from the 90s or whatever it was. I'm all that in a bag of chips. No, 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 you're not. <laughs> yeah, but the, the statement that the folks that we work with are saying, I'll never be good enough. I'll never be worthy enough. I have to keep earning it. Boy, that drives so many dysfunctions and bad habits and habituations and harmful inclinations and defense mechanisms. And, and they're good people. Yeah. They're good yeah. people. They are striving for goodness. And they can never attain their own set of standards. Yeah. And it goes back to, remember when we, we talked about that podcast of towards the beginning, it was a lot of people, this is the stumbling block for them that they, they cannot without a lot of rewriting with the word of God. They cannot accept that they are a saint, but rather that they're a sinner saved by grace, right? Like that, that transition is so difficult for the legalist or those who have been stuck in legalism for all their life to transition and believe, yes, I am a saint. No, I, I mean, I, I'm a, I'm a sinner and God said, no, you're a saint. Yeah, I know you say that, but, uh, I have so much, and no, you're a saint. You know, like 
It's repeatedly just saying that over and over to them and allowing God's word to say that over and over to them. And it's still, it, it is such a difficult spot. And, and it leads to what we're transitioning into, which is what are the destructive ends for this thought process in our life? We've got personal relationships. We've got our relationship with God and Christ and our own physical and mental health. Ricky, if you could choose on one of those, which which one do you think would, would be like the biggest for the destructive ends? Oh, wow. So our mindset and belief in self, our treatment of others, our relationship with God, all of them are huge, but because of the nature of what it does, it keeps us out of, if we don't turn from it, we will never abide with God. So if we're not saved, if we don't know God, it's a stumbling block. If we do, do know God, it's also a stumbling block. It's destructive in that it keeps us from receiving from God all the wonder and beauty and magnificence he wants to. We don't hear the voice of God. We don't feel, we don't know the presence of God. We don't come to grips with the wonderful blessings of God. We don't see him at work in our lives because we have placed all of our hope and faith in our legalistic tendencies. Well, that one, if that one is left unhealthy, it's going to make all the other ones unhealthy. So I would clearly say that what it does to my relationship between me and God is the most destructive. And, it, and, and this legalism leads to the ones that are following, especially one of them that, that are going to come in a, maybe it's next week's podcast. I don't remember exactly which one, but I know in this particular four group set, one of them is perfectionism. And that is an outflow of a legalistic point of view, even if we don't think it is. Trying to fulfill all these rules in my life. You know. I wish there was some kind of humor relief at this point, because this like, feels really this is a real downer. It it's it's a difficult one, but we'll get to the overcoming um just in a second. But yeah, so it, it prevents John 15, 11. I've told you this, that yeah. my joy may be in you and that your joy may be made complete. I mean, simply yep. that's what it blocks. And that affects, like you said, everything. It, my personal relationships with others are destroyed because I don't see them in light of what Christ sees, nor can I see them with the love that I know I'm loved with. So I can never fully allow Christ's love to flow out of me to others. There's always, well, they they need to do something to earn my love. And it, and it just, even if it's not always, there's always that pervasive thought in the back of your head that goes with that. And even in our own health, I mean, it drives shame, drives all those defense mechanisms, drives anxiety, drives a feeling of lostness, of hopelessness, of helplessness, of just unworthiness and unlovability like it's it's pretty bad so yeah driving through to the the good news of this how do we walk through abiding and break through this awful spiritual disease how do we do it 
the same way we've, we mentioned in part all the time. And we, in our early podcast, talked a great deal about, you know, what does it look like to abide in the Savior? You know, if I if I had to, if somebody doesn't know anything about it, I'd I'd ask them to please read the Gospel of John in the New Testament. And every place where you see Jesus say, "These are not my works; these are not my words. This is the work and the word of my Father." He's demonstrating that he's in a dependent relationship with the Father in heaven. And when he says, "The works I do, you also will do." as you abide in me, because I abide in my Father, as you abide in my love, as I abide in my Father's love, then you begin to see, if I have a relationship with Jesus by trusting him through faith, that Jesus Christ is my means to everlasting life, John 1, 12, to them who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, he gave the right to become the children of God, those that receive him. Then in that relationship, we grow up by abiding as he describes it. And you put those things together in the Gospel of John, then you begin to see, oh, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, John 14, will live with me. They'll remind me of the word of God. So we pour God's word into our heart. We read it. We meditate upon it. We treasure it. We understand it. We correctly discern it. We, we ask questions about it. If we don't understand it, we ask a trusted person like yourself to help, help, help to help get understanding. Those principles begin to override our old habits. And all of that is what we're talking about when we talk about abiding. And that's where the breakthrough with this spiritual disease begins to take place. That's a mouthful. Yeah. So you might want to go back and review some of our earliest podcasts, right? Uh, you'll find a lot of conversation there about what does it really look like to abide. Um, if a person wants to get the extended crash course, they could contact you or myself and we could start a new online group for for new people. If you'd like to read a good book about it, uh, there's a book by an author whose name is David Needham. The name of the book is Birthright Christian. Do you really know who you are? Um, or you could call us on the phone. <laughs> you could text us or send us a message, uh, interact with Chris's website all of those are ways that we can do it but that's the first part what does it look like to abide in christ that's the most important thing you have to learn yeah and i, I want to share and, and that goes back to the john fifteen eleven, and that's where our joy comes from i want to share a little bit i had briefly mentioned wayne grudem's quote and he has a really good quote here that i I really like he couples it with Psalm 119, but he's, he talks about in the bold. This is um, on chapter eight, the sufficiency of scripture in his book, Systematic Theology, second edition. He says, for the, the bold of this paragraph, we should consider nothing to be required of us that is not commanded in scripture. 
either explicitly or by implication. Second paragraph, he says, the discovery of this great truth could bring tremendous joy, John 15, 11, and peace to the lives of thousands of Christians who, spending countless hours seeking God's will outside of Scripture, are often uncertain about whether they have found it. In fact, many Christians today have very little confidence in their ability to discover God's will with any degree of certainty. Thus, there is little striving to do God's will, for who can know it, and little growth in the holiness before God. But the opposite ought to be true. Christians who are convinced of the sufficiency of Scripture should begin eagerly to seek and find God's will in Scripture. They should be eagerly and regularly growing in obedience to God, knowing great freedom and peace in the Christian life. Then they will be able to say with the psalmist, I will keep your law continually forever and ever, and I shall walk in a wide place, for I have sought your precepts. Great peace have those who love your law. Nothing can make them stumble. And that quote is from Psalm 119, verses 44, 45, and verse 165. So, you know, not to go more into depth, I think that speaks a world in itself, but just the abiding lifestyle of realizing God's word is enough and walking in that. Yeah. Yeah, it, it's, it's enough if we are related to the giver of that word. Yeah. Because then it's him talking to us. Amen to that. Yeah. Amen. All As right. Charles Swindoll says there is no spiritual growth apart from the word of God. Yeah. Agreed. Amen. Amen. Well, Ricky, would you, uh, would you pray um, over Amen. this uh, disease breaking, breaking into the change of this disease? Lord, it really is a disease and it's a, a chain of bondage that so many people are um, still shackled by. And probably, if the truth be known, all of us, to one degree or another, have tendencies toward legalism. We would ask God that we would all experience freedom from that. And Lord, if there's anyone listening and they've never met you in a saving relationship, Lord Jesus, we pray for that on their behalf, first and foremost. And for everyone who now and in the future walks with you, we pray that they would grow in their capacity to live in harmony and dependence with you moment by moment by abiding with you. Help them to learn what it means to abide with you and your word and your love and your work and to live in this dynamic, wonderful relationship in which we pray and talk to you and you illuminate our heart, mind, our soul, our spirit with your word that has been stored up and treasured in our, in our mind. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. So we want to end with an important scripture that reminds us to abide in him. John 14, 23. Jesus answered and said to him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our abode with him. As you walk through this week, we encourage you to review the scriptures and themes we talk about and ask the Holy Spirit to team up with you to bring this information to life personally in your walk. Thank you for listening, and God bless.